am a sports fan. How many of you guys are sports fans? How many of you have your phone going right now because there's a certain sporting event that is happening that you're like, I've got to keep... Uh, I don't know if anybody's recording it, and I, I, I'm, I'm tempted to spoil the fun right now. Uh, I'm seeing some heads shaking. Just to warn you, we do have the NFL ticker up on the screen. It'll show up, uh, you know, every time there's a... Just kidding. Just kidding. I'm glad you're here. Uh, the Seahawks are playing right now. I'm glad that uh, the Lord gives us these opportunities to have Seahawks and the church at the same time, really to test our, our faith and see how much we love Jesus, right? At least maybe that's for me. As a sports fan, uh, I, I've enjoyed that with our kids. I've enjoyed that we, we all enjoy the NFL. We, lo- we enjoy football. So let me just, who, who's your favorite football player? Someone throw out some names. Favorite football player? Uh, uh, Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, quarterback from Kansas City. Who else do we have? Russell Wilson. Yeah, I can't complain about that one. Anybody else? Max Unger. Okay, good choice, I think. Uh, what about Gardner Minshew? Anybody want to do Minshew Mania and get the mustache going? Not yet? All right, all right. It's fun when you start looking at your favorite players, and obviously you look at these favorite players and you're like, man, there are some of the best players in the NFL, right? But I want to ask, I want to throw out a couple names, and I want you to, to, to tell me if you know who these people are, all right? You ever heard their names before? First one, Mitchell Schwartz. Anybody ever heard of Mitchell Schwartz? Not a hand. Second one, uh, David DeCastro. Anybody heard of David DeCastro? Oh, two player, two people, that's good. How about, how about Quentin Nelson? Anybody heard of Quentin Nelson? Oh, two, two people, nerds. Okay, never, never mind. Um, uh, how about Alex Mack? Anybody heard of Alex Mack? All right. These, uh, it's interesting when you start looking and saying, well, only a couple of us knew these players. These players I just listed are some of the best NFL players at their position. And here's, here, here's why I bring this up. Because most of us, we are uh, drawn to those with these, these incredibly outward gifted uh, men, right? These players that can do these, these crazy things and they've got this amazing gift. So, so for Patrick Mahomes to be able to run back and throw a football with pinpoint accuracy at 50 yards, like that's pretty remarkable. We look at him, and there's no wonder why he is one of our favorite players. You look at guys like Alvin Kamara and, and how he can take a football and how he can run and spin and not fall down. Like, that's amazing to me, like not tripping over his feet. You look at guys like Cooper Cup who can run and catch a ball at the same time. Where I sometimes struggle with, with, with running and chewing gum at the same time, he can run and, and catch a football. There, there's no surprise to why some of these are our favorite players. In fact, when you look at the NFL and the last, uh, since 2001, you look at the most valuable player, the, the, the player that has been the, the favorite, the, the best for the year, 16 of those MVPs have been quarterbacks. Three of those have been running backs. But you notice those names that I listed that I said are, are, are some of the top players in the NFL of their position? I mean, we look and we like to watch the running back. We like to watch the, the quarterback. But I would say the most important position in the NFL is an offensive lineman. An offensive lineman. I mean, how many of us can name four or five offensive linemen? I mean, we can name all the quarterbacks, but how many of us can actually name four or five offensive linemen? Because these are people that we look at, they don't have that exciting gifts. They're not the guy that's going to be out throwing the football uh, 50 yards. Uh, we don't, they don't have those exciting gifts that we're drawn to. 
Now, I know some of you, you're like, I hate sports. I don't even know what you're talking about. You lost me. So let me ask you this. Who are the people that you're drawn to? When you start looking at people that you're like, man, they're awesome. Like, who are the people that you are, who, who do you admire? Who is it that you would look in whatever field you're interested in? Who do you feel deserves the accolades and the MVPs? Typically, it's people that are, uh, they have these outward gifts. They're people that are out front speaking. They're people that are engaging. They have these visible gifts. In fact, uh, there are, uh, we're a part of a church planning network called the Acts 29 Church Planning Network. And so I connect with a number of pastors in Eastern Washington and into Idaho. And there's two of these pastors that are, are, are so unique. Okay, one of them, uh, he has just all of these great gifts, okay? Uh, he is a great communicator. He's a great leader. He has all these things going for him. He has a large church. And you look at what he does, and people are, are drawn to him. They flock to him. They're like, wow, you're awesome. And then we have this other pastor friend of mine, and he is in Clarkston, Washington. If you don't know where Clarkston is, uh, I want to be surprised. It is a small little community. And this guy... Man, he is so faithful to his church. Man, the thing I think of him is, is he is such a shepherd. Shepherding his people. He has made such a huge impact on that little community of Clarkston and Lewiston. But let me ask you. Both of these guys are effective. Which of those pastors do you think they invite to come and speak up on a platform to tell all the other pastors, hey, here's how you need to do it? It's the pastor with those outward gifts. The pastor who's, who's engaging, who can, who can communicate, who can do these things. He's the guy that people flock to, that people want to ask, people want to learn from. We've been in a series for the last couple of weeks on, on, on the Holy Spirit. And we've said that the Holy Spirit is a, is a gift from God. It's a gift that God has given us to, to give us power in our lives. And we've said as we look at this topic of the Holy Spirit, we want to get a, a biblical understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and the role the Holy Spirit plays in the lives of Christians and how, the role the Holy Spirit plays in the lives of our church. And so we've covered a number of things already. We had the first week of, of understanding who the Holy Spirit is. And we said that the Holy Spirit is God himself who has taken up residence in our lives to be with us forever. And that is who the Holy Spirit is. Then we began to look and say, well, what does the Holy Spirit do? And we said, the Holy Spirit, he convicts us of sin. He helps us. He guides us to truth. He, he, he teaches us the truth of Scripture. We saw a couple weeks ago how the Holy Spirit empowers us to live as ambassadors into the world. That as Christians, he inspires us and empowers us to go into the world to make disciples and to share uh, the message of who he is. We saw last week... How Jesus, as he did all of his earthly ministry, how he depended on the Holy Spirit. And if Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit, how much more, how much more should we depend on the Holy Spirit? But today, I want to wrestle with kind of, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, what are the things that we begin to admire about the Holy Spirit? When we think about the Holy Spirit, what are the things that we, we long for? What are the things, who are the Spirit-led people that we flock to? Who are the Spirit-led people that we praise, that we can applaud, that we think, man, they're so spiritual, I want to learn from them, I want to be like them? See, I don't think it's surprising that we admire people like quarterbacks. I don't think it's surprising that we admire Christians who have these outward gifts and are on stage and on platform and, 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 and standing up in front of people teaching them uh, because 
uh, we have a desire for the outward uh, attention. We, we, we value that. In fact, God knows this about us. And he says in 1 Samuel 16 that we, man, we human beings, uh, we look on the outward appearance. That we have this natural thing where we focus on the externals of what a person does. And sometimes, because we like the outward appearance, we can get dis- distracted to the inner being of a person. Distracted to their character. But that's not how God works. First Samuel 16 says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And if we understand this, that in terms of our faith, in terms of our lives, in terms of our church, it's not the, the outward gifts and the actions that are important. It's our heart. It's our inward being. It's our character that God is going to look on. The reason I bring this up is in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a conversation on the spiritual gifts. And I'll be honest, like I'm excited to have a conversation with our church about the spiritual gifts. I'm excited about this. In fact, when we started talking as, as, as leaders of the church about what sermon series we should do, uh, this was the conversation that came up. We need to do a sermon series on the gifts of the Spirit. To help people understand, listen, if every one of us understood that God has given you a gift, God has given you a gift to be used for the common good of the church and to be used for the mission of the church. And if we all understood this and we actually lived that way, like we would be an unstoppable force in our city. Like if we understood that God has has equipped us for uh, a gift for the common good and for the mission, like we could not just make a dent in our city, but we could make a difference. Things would change if we understood this. Uh, and, And I think it's super important for us to grasp this. Uh, Gifts of the Spirit, we've got the gift of leadership, the gift of teaching, the gift of serving, encouragement, mercy, prophecy, tongues, discernment, wisdom, knowledge, all of these things. And we're going to have this conversation, and the the gifts of the Spirit are good. And we should seek the gifts of the Spirit. But here's the caution. And here's the caution. And here's why I want to have this conversation today. It's because our human nature is to look at that outward action. Our human nature is to look at the things that we do publicly. And all of those gifts are things typically that are going to be going to be done publicly. And it's a temptation for us to look at those things and say, man, that is what spiritual maturity is. I mean, that's when you walk into church and there's a guy standing in front of a, of a music stand talking to everybody else. And the assumption is because he's got that gift, man, he must be the most spiritual person in the room, right? He must be the most mature person in the room, and so those people with those visible gifts, man, we, we praise them. We make them the MVPs of our church. We long to buddy up next to them. We long to, to learn from them. But here's the thing. When we focus on the gifts of the Spirit, on the supernatural things that the gifts uh, bring, we miss out on the rest of what the Holy Spirit does. And it actually does a disservice to us to know what it actually looks like for you and I to walk in the Spirit. That we start thinking about the Holy Spirit being present in our lives and, and, and walking in the Spirit, it's easy for us to say, well, that means that we do all that gifting things. And so we look at those people that do those things and think, man, they're spiritual. They're more mature than I am. They're a better Christian than I am. So we want to wrestle today with what is the evidence that a person is actually filled with the Spirit? What is the evidence that someone is mature in their faith? When we're looking at someone we want to learn from, we're looking at another Christian that we want to learn from and we want them to speak into our life and, and to, to help us grow in our faith, man, how do we know what it looks like for someone to be a spirit-filled, spirit-led, walking the spirit Christian? 
So we're in Galatians chapter 5. A little bit of context in Galatians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is writing uh, a letter to the church in Galatia. This is a church that he planted. This is a church that he started. And, 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 and the church was planted on the gospel. The gospel message uh, that you are saved by grace alone. That you are saved because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. So he starts the church. People believe it. And eventually after Paul leaves, there's uh, some false teachers that come in. And they start saying, well, well yes, you, you have to believe in Jesus. And you have to do these other things to be a Christian. For you to, to, to be a Christian, you have to believe in Jesus, and you've got to do certain things to be accepted by God. And this became something that Paul said, I've got to write, and I've got to correct this. And he writes this letter to say, listen, we are saved by the grace of God alone, not what we do. Listen, that is, like, that is a message in itself. Like, we could just stop right now and have a time of response. Because there are some of us in this room that have been trying for a season to, to make ourselves good. To make ourselves worthy of God's love. That we walk into church and we feel like, man, I'm, I'm not worthy of God because I know I've got all this stuff in my life. And so I'm going to go to church and I'm going to try and, and do some things so that God would begin to love me and God would forgive me of my sin. Listen, you and I, we can never be good enough. We can never do enough to earn God's love. That God's love comes to us not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done. That God's love comes to us because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. This is, this is the heart of why we exist as a church. So that we would hear this message again and again and again. And we would know that Jesus died in our place and that we would live in that way. So Paul writes this letter and says, hey, hey, it's all about the gospel. It's all about what Jesus has done for you. And then he knows that there's going to be this fear that if it doesn't matter what we do, then there's going to be some people in the church that say, well, if it all matters what Jesus, then I can do whatever I want. Like I can live whatever way I want to live. It doesn't matter if I'm holy or not. I can just do what I want. So Paul writes and says, no, listen, if you're going to walk in the spirit, if you're going to walk with God, this is what it looks like for you to walk with God. And that's the text we're in. Galatians 5, verse 16, and here's what Paul says. He says, but I say to you, walk by the Spirit. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? We're going to come back to it. We're going to answer that, but we're going to come back to that here in a little bit. But, but I want you to see what he's going to do is he's going to contrast this two idea of, of walking in the Spirit and walking in the flesh. So he says, but I say to you, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the spirit are against, against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I mean, how, how many of you have ever been in that situation? you got that little tug of war going on inside of you. Where you're like, yeah, I want to follow God. I want to do what God wants for me in my life. I want to serve him. But man, I've got these desires inside of me that are so strong. I've got these things that distract me and lead me away from the things I know I should do or the things I would think God would want me to do. So as we look at this idea of the flesh, we need to understand what the flesh is. The flesh represents our, our natural desires. It represents our sinful nature. And what this means is that you and I, we were born with a sin nature. That, that our nature is not to follow God. Our, our natural way of living is not to serve God, to love people, to do what God would want us to do. Our natural way is to love ourselves. And so when we start trying to follow after God, we find this nature to come back and that sin nature to still be prevalent. And we have this bit of a battle where I'm, I'm trying to, to follow after God, but I'm, I've got this flesh and I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with these two things of, of walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. 
Paul says in verse 19, that the works of the flesh are evident. If you are, are, are living out of the flesh, he said it's evident. This is what it looks like. This is evident because in all, in all of our societies, this is the norm. In all of our societies, this is a normal way that we live. To gratify our flesh. To gratify, to gratify our natural desires. He describes these. Uh, verse 19, he says, uh, uh, the works of the flesh are evident. They're sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. This is any distortion of God's design of sex. That God's design of sex is that sex remains between a husband and a wife in the bonds of marriage. But our natural desires, our flesh, it calls out all sorts of perversions contrary to what God would design for us. Listen, it doesn't make it right just because our flesh desires it. This is why so often when we're in some sort of sexual sin, why it makes it hard for us to feel like we can commune with God. Because we have this going on and it's not what God would want us to do. And so the works of the flesh, uh, sexual immorality. Uh, verse 20, he says, idolatry. Idolatry simply means uh, worshiping anything other than God. That you put anything other than God as being ultimate in your life. Listen, we do this. We put all sorts of things above uh, wh wh where God should be. It might be work. It might be money. It might be sex, it might be media, it might even be religion. And we value these things above where they're supposed to be. We put them above where God is and think, man, if I just had this, then I'd be happy. If I just had this, if this just happened, then I'd be satisfied. It's idolatry. He says sorcery, uh, which also can be translated as witchcraft. And the heart behind this idea is, is attempting to try to control God. Attempting to get God to do things, to get God to respond to you, to what you want. See this idea of sorcery or witchcraft. Uh, he talks about, verse 20, enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions and envy. Uh, these are all things that cause uh, discord and disunity amongst people, right? They destroy relationships. I mean, if we understand that Jesus said, Jesus, Jesus was asked by a Pharisee, hey, what is the greatest commandment? Remember what Jesus said? Here's the most important things. Here's, here's our religion summed up in two things. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If this is what God says we're supposed to do, to love God and love people, you see how these things, enmity and strife and jealousy and anger and rivalries and dissensions, divisions and envy, how they begin to destroy our ability to love other people? How they destroy our ability to value people? It says, uh, 21, he talks about drunkenness and orgies. Now I tie these two together because I think it's less about an attitude and more about the idea of, of giving myself over completely to these things. And this might be alcohol, it might be drugs, it might be food, it might be whatever it happens to be, that you give yourself over completely to these things. There's no restriction. And it becomes a cycle of addiction whereby you feel like you just can't get enough. I need more, I need more, I need more. And then he finishes it off and says, and things like these. I love this because he's like, hey, here's what it looks like. And in case I miss anything, we'll just throw this term in as kind of a catch-all for other things that might fit into this context. Again, I want us to understand the works of the flesh. Man, these are our natural desires. That, that, that some, of you are, some of us are sitting in this room and we're like, man, that list is really, man, it really stinks because I find myself on that list often. 
I find myself in that list where, man, I'm struggling with this. I'm, this is present in my life. This present in my life. And I begin to wonder, man, man, this really stinks, Kevin. You're really making me feel really bad this morning. Listen, let me just encourage you. This is not a list of things that bad people do. Right? That when we are left to our own devices... When we are living out of the flesh to our own nature, when we're living without an understanding of who God is and how we relate to, to him, this is a list of things that every one of us in this room have done. This is a list of things that we have done in the past. Some of us, this is a list of things that we are doing in this present moment. That we are born with this sin nature. That we're born with this, this nature that's contrary to God. And this is so different than what our society tells us. Our society says, well, you aren't born as a bad person, that you pick up all these bad habits as you live. And scripture would say, no, we are born with a bent towards rebellion, a bent towards seeking and pleasing ourselves, not to seek God, but to make ourselves great. And so our flesh, our sinful nature, man, it often leads to all of these things. And every one of us in this room are guilty of some level of, uh, of falling for the, 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 uh, the, the desires of the flesh. There we go. There we go. I speak for a living. I didn't say it was great. but uh, And so every one of us in this room are guilty of some level of fulfilling the desires of the flesh. In fact, most of us, most of us in the room have, have probably tried one of these things. Have tried one of these things. Hey, if I just had enough of this, and it would solve all the problems in my life. It would make the whole go be better. It would make me feel like, man, I'm, I'm complete now. And we found it doesn't lead to peace. It leaves us hurting. It leaves us in shame. It leaves us longing for more. It never becomes enough. And that's what happens with it when we live in the flesh, when we allow the flesh to be uh, what we do. And so that's, that's what Paul's talking about, how, how there's this tug of war going on inside of us where, where we, we get this little exposure to God. We know, man, I want to follow after God, but I've got this, this flesh inside of me, this nature and there's this tug of war where am I going to follow after God? Am I going to do what he wants or am I going to live in the, the flesh? And here's what Paul says in verse 18. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, that you are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The law represents religion. It represents us trying to do something to make ourselves good enough for God's love. It represents us trying to earn, us trying to accomplish it on our own. Again, this is something that most of us in this room have found ourselves in at some point in our life. Trying to earn God's approval, trying to earn God's love, trying to be accepted by God of what we do. And what can happen is when we are, are, are walking in the flesh and we are under the law, we're trying to do religion, what can happen is we think if I get there, man, then I've, I've done enough and, and God has accepted me because I've done enough. And what can happen is, is if that's the way that we view our faith, that our faith is what we do, our faith is us doing enough to be accepted and loved by God, what can happen is if we view our faith in that way, then of course, who are the godly people? Who are the mature people? Who are the people that must be walking with God, with, with the Spirit, those are the people that have all the outward actions. Those are the people that are really good at trying to earn it themselves and really good at showing, hey, look, I'm such a righteous person because I'm the person up front talking. 
I'm the person with a microphone and a guitar playing a song. I'm the person that has all these gifts, and I'm going to show them because that proves that I am walking with God. That proves that I am accepted by God. And the gifts and the things we do become the barometer for how we evaluate whether someone is filled with a spirit. Then the more mature you are, the more godly you are, man, you're going to have those gifts, and they're going to be evident for everybody to see how great you are, how wonderful you are, how spirit-filled you are. And again, that's where we walk into church and we see the guy standing up with a music stand. We walk into church and we see the person on the stage with a, with a microphone. Man, they're in front. They're teaching. They're leading. Man, they must be the most mature. They must be the people that are walking in the Spirit. And Paul just said, listen, if you are led by the Spirit, that means you are not under the law. He's pointing to the gospel message. And he's saying, listen, if you are walking in the Spirit, then you realize, then you realize that you're not under the law, that your faith isn't based on an outward action. That if you are walking the Spirit, that your faith isn't based on what you do, it's based on what Jesus has done. And so there we look and we begin to say that if you are led by the Spirit, that your maturity is not determined by your outward action. If we are, are saved by the grace of God, if that determines our standing with God, then, then it's got to be the same way. That is the grace of God in our life that shows whether or not we are mature in our faith, whether we are walking in the Spirit. Right? I mean, yes, God gives us gifts. God gives us abilities to be used for the good of the church and for the mission of the gospel. But the defining factor of what maturity of our faith looks like what it looks like for us to be growing as a Christian, what it looks like for us to be a spirit-filled person, can't be our outward action. And here's what Paul would say. He would say the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that you are walking in the Spirit is not the ability to stand up and teach. It's not the ability to stand up and lead and to sing and to perform miracles. In fact, I would say it's dangerous for us to assume that somebody, just because they can do those things, that they are mature and they are led by the Spirit. Because Paul just said that the fruit of the Spirit, that the, the proof, the evidence that you are walking in the Spirit are these things listed here. Not things that we can create on our own, but things that as we grow with God and as we grow deeper in Him, He begins to create in us. Listen, uh, let's just run through these. Let, do, do a little self-assessment. Let's just all do a little self-assessment. We'll go through these, uh, through the Spirit, and kind of grade yourself. Like, how is this present in my life? And if you really want to do a really good assessment, ask your spouse. Honey, do you see these things in my life? The first one, love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. The greatest example of love was Jesus as he sacrificed himself for us. Because when we believe that, when we believe that Jesus out of love gave his life away for us, when we've experienced that, man, then we can begin to start loving other people and start learning what it looks like for us to give ourselves away, to set aside our preferences for someone else. To, to, to elevate someone else above the way that we view ourselves. Philippians chapter 2. Setting aside our preferences. We count someone else 
higher than we consider ourselves. Listen, how do you rate yourself on loving the people around you? Second one, joy. Joy is, is different than happiness. Joy is regardless of our circumstances. Happiness is, well, if everything's right in my life, then I'll be happy. But joy is a feeling, an emotion that you can have regardless of your circumstances. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 says that despite, uh, despite the suffering, the circumstance that Jesus was going through, Jesus counted it all joy to go to the cross. As Jesus is being rejected by his friends, as Jesus is being falsely tried and falsely accused, as Jesus is getting ready to be hung on the cross, he considered it a joy, regardless of our circumstance. Joy is something that we experience, uh, that we can experience as we love people. I think about this. I think about a middle school kid, and you're like, hey, I want you to go do this for your sibling. And, and you think of a middle school kid, oh, do I have to? And they mope around while they do it. Man, joy is something that, that God gives us that we can be filled with joy regardless of whether we want, it, we want to do something or not. Third one, peace. Peace. I love meeting people that are filled with peace. These are the people that I, I look up to. These are the people I want to be around. These are the people I want to learn from. Because a person that has peace can be like in the middle of an Avengers movie, right? Like if you ever watch an Avengers movie, like things are blowing up all around, there's buildings falling down, the, there's chaos, the world is falling apart all around them. And a person with peace is calm, they're confident, they're confident that God's at work, they're confident that God's present. They can have this peace in the midst of the chaos all around them. Most of the time, I find myself freaking out. Most of the time, I'm stressing, what am I going to do? Things are falling apart. And I want God to grow in me a, an ability to have a peace. Then in the middle of the chaos all around me, I can be calm and confident of who God is. Fourth one, patience. Patience. Perhaps the best example I can give you of patience is the fact that God still loves me. He's patient with me as I continue to figure out what it looks like for me to love him and to follow after him. Are you a patient person? How do you handle difficult people? Especially when you're tired. Kindness. Kindness. This is, uh, let me ask you this question, how do you treat the outcasts of society? How do you, keep, how do you treat the difficult people in your life? Not just the good people who benefit you, but how do you treat the kid who sits, the weird kid who sits alone at lunch at school? How do you treat the weird dude who sits alone at your office? How do you treat the weird dude who sits alone on the street corner? Listen, do you show kindness? Because how we treat those types of people shows whether we have kindness in our heart, whether this is a fruit that the Lord has given to us or not. Goodness. Goodness is similar to, to kindness. They're, they're, they're close to each other. And goodness is righteousness in action. Goodness is doing what is right. I don't know uh, about you, but do you ever get that situation where you're kind of annoyed? You just kind of have a bad day? Maybe you're, one of your kids, maybe they, they, they spout off at you and, and they, you just, you lay into them. You lay into them. 
And you know you're not really laying into them. They didn't do anything super wrong, but because you're annoyed, because you're whatever, you just, I would say that, that goodness is knowing what the right thing to do is, even when you don't want to do it. I don't want to go apologize. Man, I don't have to do this. Goodness is knowing what the right thing to do is and actually doing it. Righteousness in action. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Are you reliable? Are you trustworthy? Are those characteristics to describe your life? In fact, when you begin to look at your life, when you've been able to, to look at your life, are you faithful to the God who gave up the greatest gift of his son Jesus in your place? Are you a faithful person? Next one, gentleness, often translated as, as meekness. And we, we look at gentleness, we're like, well, that means weakness, right? Meekness is weakness, it's not. Uh, meek, we, be, being uh, gentle or meek means to have strength under control. I've given this picture uh, uh, of imagine a bodybuilder. This big, strong, muscular guy cradling a little baby, soft and cuddly. That is strength under control. Listen, when you are wronged, when you are violated, when someone does something to you and you believe you are right, when you have evidence to prove it, listen, do you have the strength to exhibit meekness rather than bursting forth in anger and losing all control? Some of these are kind of starting to hit home. Self-control. The last one, self-control. Remember that tug of war that Paul talked about? How we, we want to we wanna follow God, but we've got this flesh that is so strong. How many times have we given in to the flesh? How many times have we let our mouth get us in trouble again? How many times have we allowed ourselves to go watch those videos on our phone that we know we shouldn't be watching again? How many times have we dished up the bowl of ice cream and put the bowl back in the freezer and taken the carton with us to bed, right? Like, like self-control. Self-control is saying no for the sake of a bigger and a better yes. Self-control is trading something in the here and now for something greater in the future. Man, when I begin looking at the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that we are walking in the Spirit, <laughs> man, I kind of feel like I'm a little kid at Yogurt Shack, and I'm like, man, I, I see a little too much of this one, a little too much of this, a little... I'm lacking these things. I need these things in my life. That if I'm being honest about how I want to grow in my faith and I want to walk in the Spirit, if this is what it looks like for me to walk in the Spirit, man, I don't know how much I'm actually walking in the Spirit. These are some things I need the Lord to begin to do in my life. I think the point that, that I want us to understand this morning is, listen, we love the gifts. We love the gifts of the Spirit. The church needs the gifts. The church needs every one of us in this room to understand that we are equipped by God to serve the church and to serve the world. Listen, and I'm excited for this conversation. We need to seek them. But we cannot let those things define our faith, define our church. We cannot elevate the gifts of the Spirit to a place that they don't belong. That if we want evidence that we are walking in the Spirit, evidence that we are mature in our faith, it comes from these fruit of the Spirit, which is where our heart and our character begin to change and reflect the heart and the character of Jesus. 
that if we want to know what it looks like for us to walk in the Spirit, and to be mature believers, that our heart and character begin to change, to reflect the heart and character of Jesus. That these fruit begin to take precedence in our lives. That we begin to change from the inside out. When we start looking for a church, we start looking for, man, I want to find a church to go to. I want to find a leader I can follow. Man, we aren't looking for a leader with the biggest platform. We're not looking for a leader that's the best uh, speaker and the best at creating systems. We're looking for someone that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, self-control. This is the type of person that is walking in the Spirit that is mature. In fact, Jesus says, Jesus says there's at least two ways that you can know that someone is a, a disciple. You know what those two ways are? John chapter, John chapter 13 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And the second one, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, You will know them by their fruit. You will recognize them by their fruit. One of the other things I find about the fruit of the Spirit, I find these are not things that we can create on our own. These are not things that we can grow on our own. These are things that we need God to, to grow inside of us. And this is why Paul says that we are to walk in the Spirit. That as we walk in the Spirit, as we walk with Him, that God begins to grow these characteristics in our life to change our heart, to reflect His heart. And the million dollar question is, well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we walk in the Spirit? Let me paint a picture for you. You guys ever watched that show 24? Show 24, you got Jack Bauer. Jack Bauer going out to save the world. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. You can watch it again and again. I've watched it a number of times. Um, if you haven't seen that show, I want you to think about this. Think about this. When they're getting ready to send an agent out, what do they do? They give an agent a little earpiece. And the little agent, the little agent, the agent takes a little earpiece and puts it inside of their ear, and they go out into the field, wherever else they're going to do. And there's a, there's a guy back at CTU. There's a guy back at headquarters. And he's talking to them. And he's looking at his, in his office, and he's got computer screens in front of him. And he's got analysts who know what's going on. And in CTU, they always have like, like satellites with drone coverage and video coverage so they can get a live action of what's happening. I don't know if that's real life. That'd be crazy if it was. Like there's always a satellite fixated on whatever you're doing. Uh, again, that's TV, so I don't know how much of reality that is. But there's a guy back in the home office. He's got all this information in front of him. And he's... He, he, he's, his voice is directing that agent. His voice is leading him, telling him where to go, telling him what to do, reminding him over and over and over again, hey, here's what we need to do. Here's where you need to go. Here's how you need to do it. Here's what's next. And that agent, you know what their responsibility is? That agent's responsibility is just to listen. That agent's responsibility is just to surrender, to follow, not to follow their own instincts, not to try on their own, because when they do that, how many times has that got Jack Bauer in trouble? Multiple times. Every season, every episode. But for that agent to go and save the world, and listen, Jack Bauer saved the world eight different times. Actually, nine times if you include the extra little movie they did, right? 
For him to be successful, he's got to learn to listen to the voice, to surrender and to follow. The same way for us walking in the Spirit, it simply means that we learn to surrender. That we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit as it's whispering in our life. As the Holy Spirit is guiding us and ministering to us and leading us, that we just learn to listen and to surrender. Listen, the Holy Spirit knows when to tell you to calm down. And if we would listen, then the Holy Spirit would be there to say, hey, now's the time you need to just settle down. Take a step back. The Holy Spirit knows when to tell you that God's got you, that God is in control of the situation. The Holy Spirit, he knows uh, what song you need to sing at that moment. The Holy Spirit will know uh, what verse you need to be reminded of at that moment, and he will fill your mind with those words. The Holy Spirit knows when that tug of war is going on inside of you and knows to point you back to the gospel, to the truth. The question is, are we going to listen? Are we going to surrender? Are we going to walk in the Spirit? Or are we going to walk in the flesh? As we've gone through this series, I'm going to sing these songs of the Holy Spirit. And one of the lyrics we keep singing is, is Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Scripture teaches that when we place our faith in Jesus, that we become a believer, that we have the Holy Spirit present in us. We don't need to ask him to come and be with me because the Holy Spirit is with us. But for me, when I sing that song, Holy Spirit, come, that is me surrendering myself. That is me saying, God, I'm submitting myself to you. I'm not choosing to live in the flesh, God. I'm I'm choosing to say, God, come now. I'm I'm opening myself up and I'm saying, Lord, come now. I'm yours. Lord, I'll follow you. I'm surrendering to you now. Come on now. I need you. And this prayer, this song, this, this, this come now Holy Spirit is a picture for me of surrender that I've opened my heart, I've surrendered myself, I'm allowing the Spirit to rule and to reign. That I'm choosing to walk in the Spirit and not walking in the flesh. As we look at all these characteristics, and, and honestly, it can kind of be discouraging. To say, man, I see more of the work of the flesh in me than I see in the fruit of the Spirit. So if that's where you're at today, then I'm not telling you to try harder. I'm not giving you 10 things you need to do this week to to make your life better. What I want to do is ask you to stand up with me and open up your hands and just surrender. Just say, God, God, I'm surrendering my flesh. I'm surrendering my will. God, I'm going to follow what you have for me. I'm going to follow your voice. And I'm going to understand it. I don't have all the computer screens and the satellites and all those other things that they do back at CTU. But God, when you begin to whisper through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to follow that and allow you to work through me. That's what it looks like for us to walk in the Spirit. We pray for you.